0: Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peak's downloadable messages. This week, Pastor Mike Yearly continues his eight-part series entitled Songs of the Summer, a study in the book of Psalms. And today he'll bring us the fourth message, two-way communication, what it takes to hear God speak, based on Psalm 25. Hey, it's good to be back. Uh, we were gone to uh, the Sierras camping last week and heard Dave did a great job and uh, Really thankful for him. It's good to be back because uh, I got a ticket while I was gone. Um, I, if you're in Clovis, don't run a red light. That's the hot tip, um, because not only do you get a ticket. Now you've noticed this is the second time this has happened to me since I've been here, right? Um, so you, you notice this theme in my life. I I kind of don't say, I don't stop real easily and. And uh, so, gosh, you know, and the, the worst part, it's not like getting the ticket. I try to pay the ticket. You can't pay it in Clovis. You know, you call up, and they say, well, it'll take a few weeks before that's in, uh, in our in our computers. <laughs> it's like, can't you just tell me? It? Well, well, it'll be about $370, you know. Um, and then there's an administration fee. Like, well, what's that for? It's, you know, 370 What's for nothing? You know, it's like there's an administration fee, $39. And then there's traffic school. And so I said, well, do you loan money for these, you know, <laughs> anyway it's really good to be back um so let's uh let's pray together we just thank you so much for for being here um that we get to be here that you get to be here that you've chosen to be here and um it's just great to come into your presence and worship god just to to acknowledge and to experience you as the holy one you know the one that's just so different from anything else in this world the one that's wholly other and we're thankful for that and Lord, we're we're your people today. We don't want to walk through life. We don't want to just go through the motions. We want a real relationship with you. We want to speak to you. We want to speak to us, God. It's the prayer of our heart as a congregation. And so today, as we come to your word, to see what King David would teach us about this, we pray you'd give us eyes to hear, or eyes to see, ears to hear, as we come in together. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, today we're continuing this series that we've been in a few weeks now, called Songs of the Summer, which is a study of the top hits of ancient Israel in the book of Psalms. And if you haven't done so already, why don't you take out your Bibles? You'll definitely be using those. In fact, if you don't have a Bible, you need to get one if you're going to come to Rocky Peak. And uh, uh, there's some out there in the lobby. If you need, we got some inexpensive ones. Costco is a great place to get uh, better ones. Um, but uh, and inside your bulletin is a message note sheet. So I encourage you to take that out. That'll help you follow along as well. But today we're continuing this series, um, and uh, today we come to one of my favorite psalms. It's Psalm 25, and the reason I love this psalm is because one of the passions in my life is I want to always be learning how to hear from God. Um, To me, you know that we talk a lot in Christian circles about um, a personal relationship with Christ. In fact, often if we're sharing Christ with someone who does not yet know him, we will say, oh no, it's not, they'll say, well, you're real religious, We'll say, oh, no, no, we're not religious. It's it's about a personal relationship, right? And so we use that language. But if you stop and think about one of the marks of a personal relationship is there's what I call two-way communication. You know, can you imagine calling a friend of yours and they, you hear the phone pick up on the other end? They don't say anything. You say, hey, you know, John, this is Mike, and I just talked for 45 minutes. They never say a word. They say, well, good talking to you. See you later. Bye. You know, you go, well, what was that all about? You know, oh, that's my good friend, John. Well, doesn't he ever say anything? Well, no, but we're great friends. You know, he's a good listener. And many times in our relationship with God, it's like that, I think. You know, we come to God in prayer or whatever, and we talk and talk and talk and talk and talk, and yet we never hear back. And here's what I found is that it's a moment where we sense God speaking back to us that we really move into the realm of real relationship. See, two-way communication is a mark of real relationship. And the reason I love Psalm 25 so much is because probably more than any other passage in all the Bible, it talks about this God who desires to communicate with us, and it talks about what kind of person we have to be for him to speak to. And so I'm really excited to talk about today. So um, there in your note sheet, I want to start with a quote from Bill Hybels. You know, Bill's a pastor of a large church back in the Chicago area. And, uh, and I, I quoted him a couple months ago at this quote, but I wanted to start here because I think it sets the stage well. It's from his book, Too Busy Not to Pray, and it goes like this. Authentic Christianity is not learning a set of doctrines and then stepping into cadence with people all marching the same way. It's not simply humanitarian service to the less fortunate. It's a walk. It's a supernatural walk with a living, dynamic and the catch is communicating God. Now here's here's a here's a phrase the sentence I want you to focus in on. Thus the heart and the soul of the Christian life is learning to hear God's voice and developing the courage to do what he wants what he tells us to do. Isn't that great? The heart and soul of the Christian life is learning to hear God's voice and then having the courage to do what he tells us to do. Can I tell you something? That is my vision for Rocky Peak. That's what this church is about. We want to be a place where we learn together how to hear the voice of God and how to do what he tells us to do. That's what it's all about. That's why we come together. We don't come together to go through the motions. We don't come together to get a notch on our belt. We don't come together each week just to say, okay, I went to church, that's done. We come together to hear the voice of God. And then to have the courage to act. And so today we're going to talk about Psalm 25. And it's just some great things to tell us about who God is and the kind of person he speaks to. So let's, let's go there. Psalm 25. Now, we're not going to start at verse 1 because that would be way too easy. These are real songs that were written to reflect real times in life. And uh, often you have to look for clues in the psalm of what was going on in the author's life, the songwriter's life when he wrote this particular song. And they often don't come at the beginning of the psalm. They often come partway through or they come at the end. And so we're going to go to the end of the psalm to kind of see what was the situation going on in David's life when he wrote this. So look at verse 16. Um, David says, God, turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and I am afflicted. I want you to catch that. David is going through a very difficult time in his life. He's lonely. He's afflicted. This song. Flows out of a time in his life is very painful. The troubles of my heart have multiplied. Free me from my anguish. Look upon my affliction and my distress. Take away all my sins. See how my enemies have increased and how fiercely they hate me. Now, we don't know exactly who these enemies were, but throughout David's life, he had people who were out to get him. And this was apparently one of those times they were out to get him. Enemies in our life can be not only physical enemies, they can be fears, can't they? They can be doubts. They can be pain. They can be problems. They can be challenges where we feel surrounded and we feel like life is out to get us. We're surrounded by our enemies. So he says in verse 20, so guard my life and rescue me. Let me not be put to shame for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me. In other words, God, I, these enemies, they're, they're, I haven't done anything to deserve this. They're just coming after me. And so would you, you know that. Would you, would you protect me? Because my hope is in you. And he says, redeem Israel, O God, from all their troubles. Of course, as the king, any trouble for David was a trouble for the nation. So redeem Israel out of all the troubles. Now, so that's, that's the situation, okay? So it's a, it's a time of pain in his life. This song, reflects it was written out of a time of pain now let's go to the beginning of the psalm and pick it up from the top and it make more sense now so we know his situation we know what he's facing so he says to you O lord i lift up my soul in you i trust oh my god do not let me be put to shame nor let these enemies triumph over me see he's already told us about that at the end of the chapter and he says so no and then he makes a statement of faith he says god this is what i've Learned you to be in my life. This is what I've learned about you from my past experience. That no one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. You'll never let us down. I've learned from my past experience that when life surrounds me, that as tough as it gets, if I'll put my trust in you, you will bring me through. This is what I've learned. That no one who puts their hope in you will ever be let down or put to shame. But they will be put to shame, these enemies, who are treacherous without excuse. Now, now we come to the heart of this song, and this is the part where David is really going to be asking for two things. He's asking for protection, but more importantly, for our purposes, he's asking for direction. And he's going to say it in a bunch of different ways, and he's, he's going to tell us the kind of person who God will speak to. Now, I'm not asking for a show of hands here, but let me just in, in the in the secret of your own heart, do you want to be the kind of person that God speaks to? Would you like to be the kind of person that God confides in? There's a great passage in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 18, where um, Jesus in his pre-incarnate form um, with two angels, they come up like they look like three men and they come to Abraham and they're on their way down to Sodom and Gomorrah to find out if it's as bad as reports. And if so, they're going to destroy it. And as they they come up... um, The Lord speaks to the two angels and he says, should I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do to Sodom or should I let him in on this? And he said, Abraham's going to become a great nation and blah, 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 blah. And he makes the decision, I'm going to confide in Abraham what's coming up. And so it leads to this discussion between Abraham and Lord about the state of Sodom. What a beautiful thing to have God confide in you. Isn't that great? To have God confide. Here's what I want to do at Rocky Peak. Here's what I want to do in your marriage. Here's what I want to do with your kids. Here's what's happening in this situation. Here's how I want you to pray. Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing to have God confide in us? Well, he's going to tell us what type of person that God will confide in. Let's look in verse four. So he says, show me your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. I want you to catch something here. We'll come back to David later, later, but David assumes that God is a communicator. You know, I said, he's assuming that God is the kind of God who is not silent. He's assuming that God is a God who will show us ways. He will teach us his path. Look at the verse, next verse. He will guide us in his truth and teach me. See, David's assumption based on his life experience, it gives God is a great communicator. We'll come back to that later. Number six, he says, Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. You've always been that way. Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you are good. David says, Hey, God, as we go into this time where I'm going to be asking you for direction, a couple of things, just like to start this off with. Could you just remember who you are? <laughs> Could you remember how good you are and how loving you are. Can you remember that you've always been that way? Oh, and and by the way, could you just kind of forget how I am? Can, can you kind of forget the sins of my youth? <laughs> you know, can, can you forget all the ways I've messed up? In, my, in fact, God, can you just um, kind of overlook my rebellious ways, you see? do You find this in times in your life where you really need to hear for God. You become amazingly aware of your shortcomings. <laughs> You're in a jam, you need God to act, you need God to speak, and all of a sudden you're so aware of how you don't really deserve this. (laughs) And so David says, hey, right at the outset here, God, can we just kind of remember who you are, forget who I am, and let's move on. Verse 8, he says, good and upright is the Lord. Here's the good news, therefore, he does instruct sinners in his way. We'll talk about later. In fact, he guides the humble in what is right. So here he begins to tell us, you know, some of the qualities you need to have to hear from God. You need to be humble. We'll talk about that later. Skip down to verse 12. Who then is the man who fears the Lord? Who then is the man who fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way chosen for him. So here's another criteria. The person who wants to be instructed by God has to fear the Lord. Now, what does that mean? We'll we'll talk about that more later on. Just in case we missed it, look at verse 14. The Lord confides. Remember, we said, do you want to be the kind of person that God confides in? Well, look at verse 14. The Lord confides in those who fear him. So twice he says, if we want to hear from God, we have to be the kind of person to fear the Lord, whatever that means. It says he'll make his covenant known to them. And then there's verse 15. He says, you know, my eyes are ever on the Lord for only he will release my feet from the snare. He changes metaphors here. He imagines himself like he's a wild animal now. He's going through the forest being chased by these enemies and he steps into a snare. He steps into a trap. He's stuck. He can't get himself like a wild animal. He can't get himself out. He needs someone to step into his life and to release him from the snare, get him out from the trap. He says, God, you're that person. I cannot solve this problem on my own. I can't get out of this situation on my own. I don't have the ability. My enemies are closing in, but I need you. My eyes are on you to get my foot out of the snare. Have you been there in your life? It's like, God, this problem's too big for me. I don't know my way out. I don't know how out. You're going to have to step. I, my, I, I don't know how to get out, but my eyes are on you. So that's the psalm. It's a psalm written about a time in David's life where he was surrounded by his enemies. He had major problems. He had terrific pain. He was in anguish, and he really needed to hear from God. God, what do I do? How do you want me to respond? What do you want me to where are you want to go? And in the midst of that, he lays out some teaching for us about the kind of person that it takes us to be, to hear from God. So if you turn your note sheet over, you've got a section there called What It Takes to Hear from God, Three Lessons on Learning. And what I want to do is just walk back through the psalm now and pull out some things. What does it have to teach us about what it takes to hear from God and the kind of God that we serve? Who is this God we serve? And so on. So number one, here's lesson number one, that, that God is the great communicator. The first thing that jumps out of me from this psalm is that God is the great communicator. In other words, we don't serve a God who is silent. God did not lose his voice two thousand years ago. You know, when you look in the Bible and you, you have all these stories of God speaking to this person, leading this person a bunch of different ways, dreams, visions, voice, internal voice, but in a million different ways. And and sometimes we act today as if, well, that was really cool. I'd love to live back then when God was still speaking. Too bad he lost his voice, you know. Too bad the line went dead. Must have overused his minutes, turned off his phone, you know. And God is a great communicator. You know, when when Jesus came, um, his best friend John had a name for him. And see if you remember, see if this, this brings back any memories from John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the, the word. Have you ever thought about that? God is the great communicator. He's the great speaker. You see, he desires to speak to us. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? Verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. No man has seen God at any time, but God the beloved Son has made him known. Jesus was the Word. Revelation chapter 19, at the very end of the story, the book of the Bible, last book of the Bible, We have a picture of Jesus. He's coming back to earth riding on a white horse. And on his thigh is written his name. And his name is the Word of God. You see? In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. At the beginning, he's the speaker. At the end, he's the speaker. The reason Jesus came was to communicate. God is the great communicator. And his desire for us as we become his children is not that we just become to Christ. We become a Christian, have our sins forgiven. We're ready for heaven. We live 30, 40 years, 50 years, whatever it is. We die and go to be with Jesus. And then he starts speaking again. You know, his desire is to speak to us. Now, of course, he speaks in a variety of ways, like in the Bible tells us about these ways, you know, we'll talk about that in a minute. But for right now, I want us to look at David's life. David assumes in this psalm that great is a, he's a, God's a great communicator. God teach me. God guide me. God instruct me. This is what he's come to expect. Well, the reason he expects this is because this has been his experience. That God has been a speaker in his life. God has communicated. Let me just give you a couple examples. Take your Bibles and turn to uh, uh, Psalm 16. We'll look at a couple other psalms of David where he talks about God communicating with him. Psalm 16, we'll look at verse 7. He says, I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. Have you ever had an experience? You're praying about something. You need direction on something. You're going through a crisis. You wake up in the middle of the night and it just comes to you. You wake up in the middle of the night. You just sense that God wants you to spend some time with him. David says that was his experience. He says, "Um." In verse 7, I'll praise the Lord who counsels me. Well, what do you mean, David? How does that happen in your life? He says, well, even at night, my heart instructs me. Remember we talked in the first week about the Psalms and about parallelism, about the first part of, this, the, first part of the verse, the second part of the verse, they go together to give you more understanding. Here's a great example of that. He says, you know, the Lord counsels me. Well, what do you mean by that, David? He says, well, there's times where in the night I just wake up or I can't go to sleep and it's like my heart, I just have those aha moments. My heart just instructs me. I just It suddenly comes together. I know what I'm supposed to do. It's not my own thoughts. It's not like I'm trying to figure it out. It just comes. And I know it's from the Lord. He says, my heart instructed me, but it's really not. It's more than that. It's God counseling me. I sense it. Have you ever had those times in your life? You see, let's look at another one. Psalm 32. While you're turning there, let me tell you a story. This reference is not on your note sheet, so you might want to write it down. It's Second Samuel chapter five. We won't turn there now. But a couple interesting stories about times where David was out at battle. And there's one particular time he says, God, should I go attack the Philistines? And it says he inquired of the Lord, and the Lord said, Yes, go and attack, because I will give you victory. Now how cool is that? (laughs) If you're a military victory, you know, if you're a military commander, wouldn't you like to know going in whether you're going to win or not? Um later on in that chapter, there's another battle. He says, God, should I go up and fight this battle? And he says, Yeah, David, do it, but don't go on the front like you normally would. Circle around the balsam trees, come in from behind. Isn't that great? See, David experienced this kind of speaking. Now let me ask you, has God quit speaking today? You know, has he suddenly lost his voice? Look at Psalm thirty two. Now this is a very interesting Psalm. We will look at it more in detail in a couple of weeks. Because in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about how to get right with God when we when we stray or we get off track. And uh, we'll come back and look at this psalm. But this psalm was written at a time when um, David had been far from God, running from God. And he finally gets tired of running. And he uh, gives up and he submits to God again. And after he does um, and he surrenders, he says, God, you're right. I'm wrong. Please forgive me. I want to be back with you. And so on. God speaks to him in verse 8. And he says, David, I will instruct you and I will teach you in the way you should go. Now, picture this. David's been far from home, strayed from God. He comes back to God and God's word to him isn't you lowlife, How could you have done that? His word to him is, David, it's good to have you back. Now, David, here's the deal. I will instruct you. I'll teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you. And I will watch over you. But David, don't be like a horse. Don't be like a mule. Don't be like a donkey. They don't have any understanding. They have to be controlled by bit and bridle. If you want to get the donkey to go where you want to go or the horse, you gotta, you gotta create pain in their mouth. You gotta, you gotta make them go where you want. He says, don't live life like that, David. I want to direct your life. I want to counsel you. I want to teach you. Don't make me jerk you around to get your attention. You see? Did you catch that? He says, I will counsel you. This is David's experience that God would speak in his life. You know, um, a couple months ago, I think it was last month, uh, Christianity today had a cover article on Jack Hayford. You know, and Jack's of course been a famous pastor here in the Valley for, for many, many years. And, uh, at, at Van Nuys, I mean at, uh, church on the way. And, um, and now he's the head of the Foursquare denomination. But in this article, it's a great article. Like I said, cover article, so full article and big interview with him and all. And one of the questions, uh, or one of the things he said was he told a story about back in 1969, and, and some of you were alive then, and you'll, you'll probably appreciate this story. Back in 1969, Jack tells a story. He had just come to the valley. He had to take over this little Foursquare church. It had 18 members. It had once been a thriving church, but it basically died and and now there's only 18 people left, and most of those people were uh, clearly past retirement, and the church was kind of slowly dying. And so he's a little bit intimidated. He's a young pastor, and one day he drives up the stopping the stoplight in Van Nuys, and it was right next to um, uh, Van Nuys First Baptist. And, and God was just blessing that church incredibly during those years. And so he drives up next to a big brick, you know, brick building, and he stops there at the stoplight, and as he pulls up there, he suddenly has this burning tingling in his face. And God speaks to him. He says, Jack, I want you to look at that building. And he didn't want to look at the building. This young pastor, is intimidated. That building represented everything he wasn't. He didn't want to look. And God said, Jack, I want you to look at the building. So he looks over at the building. And as he does, God says, Jack, I'm doing amazing work there right now. I'm pouring out my spirit there in an amazing way. And the pastors are not going to be able to keep up with it. I want you to pray for the pastors there. And as he began to pray out of obedience, not because he wanted to, but just out of obedience, he said the love of God just came upon him for this church, for Van Nuys First Baptist. And he began to love that church and, and, and this, the words just began to come as he began to pray for God's blessing on that church. Well, he got done, the light turned. <laughs> He moved on. In the next few days, every time he would pass a church in the community of all different sorts, this burning sensation would come. And God would say, pray for that church. And God began to teach Jack a very important lesson, that God's kingdom is way bigger than any castle. (laughs) You know, here at Rocky Peak, we're just one castle in the kingdom. You know, we've got an outpost. We've got an assignment. We've got a job to do to take ground for the king in our area. But we're just one castle. There's many great castles out there. And he began to teach Jack that lesson. And you know, Jack has gone on to be one of the most powerful unifying forces in the body of Christ today. It started that day, 1969. We're stopped at a stoplight. Stop Minding his own business, God spoke. Now what would have happened if God had never spoken? You see, See, God is the great communicator. There's times in our lives we need to hear from him and we need to be open to him. Now, some will ask, well, but isn't that a bit of dangerous? You know, can't people get off track in this? Well, of course they can. You know, for every true dollar bill, there's a counterfeit. And obviously, a lot of crazy things have been done in the name of Christ. Oh, God told me, you know, and obviously we need to always when we think God's speaking, we all need to always come back to his word and say, "Is this consistent with God's word because we know he won't contradict himself. Obviously. Hey, but do you really think Satan's going to be there saying, hey, pray for that church? I'm doing an amazing thing. <laughs> I want you to bless those pastors. I mean, that sounds more like God to me, right? You know, usually, usually it's pretty clear. And, you know, God is still speaking. I mentioned in the Bible how God spells us out all the different ways he speaks in the Bible. He still speaks that way today. Is sometimes audible voices, sometimes internal voices, like the one Jack heard. You know, it wasn't audible, but it was just clear. Someone's speaking in his brain, so to speak, you know. Sometimes it's impressions. Sometimes it's a sense of supernatural peace about what you're to do or not to do at a situation. Sometimes there's just a discernment. Hey, this looks good on the right side of the church, but something's going wrong here. Something's not right. You find out later what it was, you know. Uh, sometimes in the Bible, God will speak through dreams. Sometimes it's through visions. One of those common ways he speaks today is just through his word. As we're in a teaching like this, and as I'm teaching or someone else is teaching, or you could be in a life group and someone's sharing with God, and all of a sudden it just comes clear. You have one of those aha moments. God shows you something. You know it's for you and you know what you're supposed to do. You say, God is still in the speaking business today. And uh, we need to be learning how to listen. Listen. Okay, number two. The second principle that flows out of this is not only is God the great communicator, but that God only speaks to certain kinds of people. And it's very important. God wants to speak. He's not going to speak as a general rule to everyone. There are certain criteria we have to meet in our life if he's going to speak to us. And fortunately, David spells it out for us. Number one, the first criteria is that you have to be a sinner. David says, yeah, number one, that God speaks to sinners. Aren't you glad This is so cool. I want to go off on this a little bit, if you don't mind. Just kind of put up with me. This is really important to me. You know what? There's some of you here who have never learned this lesson. And because of your past and things that you've done, maybe horrible things, maybe treacherous things, things you're highly ashamed of, that you don't believe that God wants to speak to you. You might believe that you can become a Christian. You might believe that you belong in the back row. You might be able to, you can come in and you can kind of, you know, kind of go below the radar. But deep in your heart, you think of because of what you have done in the past, that you'll never be a confidant of God. He'll never confide in you. There's a limit to your relationship because of what you've done. Maybe you had some abortions. Maybe you murdered someone. Maybe you have a long line of sexual immorality. Maybe you ripped off people. Maybe you betrayed. Maybe you've gone through a divorce you never should have gone through. You chose to leave your family. Maybe you've had an affair. Whatever it is, there's something inside of you that says, I know that God's a forgiving God and so I guess maybe I can come in the back door and sit in the back row. But you know, I don't think God will ever confide in me. That's for people. God confides in people with a pristine past. God confides in people like popes and pastors. God God confides in people who have never gotten off the track in life. Isn't it amazing? It's a beautiful thing that David says, no, no, no. God is looking for sinners to confide in. Isn't that great? When Jesus came, all the religious leaders had it wrong. they remember they're always saying to him, "Why are you hanging out with the sinners?" <laughs> God doesn't he's not going to talk to people like that. what's wrong with you? if you were really from God you would know who these people are you wouldn't be hanging out with Jesus no 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 you don't understand. God delights in taking people far from him and bringing them into be the close to him not far from him to inside the building. Far from him to close to him. He loves to take the rebellious and turn them into confidants. Isn't that a great thing? It's an awesome thing. So I don't care what you've done or where you've been. or doesn't matter. Can I tell you something? I will say this many times over the years here at Rocky Peak. Jesus always cares more where you're going than where you've been. Your past is irrelevant to him. Your present is what he cares about. It all starts today with Jesus. Behold, I make all things new. The former things are gone. I don't want you to call those things to mind any longer because behold, I do a new thing. That's what he says. That's what he says when he comes here. Now, I want you to catch this. I want to drive this home, not just from my word, but from what David says, when God's word says. Look, four times in this passage, he says this. Verse 7. Remember not the sins of my youth. Verse 8. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his way. Look at verse 11. For the sake of your name, O Lord, forgive my iniquity. That's a Bible word for sin. The catch is, though it is what? Great. Look at verse 18. Look upon my affliction and my distress. Take away all my sins. You see that? Four times he says that. So God, in order to hear from God, first criteria has to be that you are a sinner. <laughs> Good. We're all there. Number two. The second, the second criteria you have to meet, and I'm going to give you two words from this. You can choose which one speaks to you the most. Both work. The words will be surrendered or submitted. But the point is, is that God speaks to people who are willing to do what he says. He doesn't waste his instructions with people who are going to blow them off. Now, this flows in a couple ways from this psalm. The first way it flows is in verse nine, where it says he guides the humble. Um, Of course, the essence of humility when we're dealing with God is that, God, you're smarter than I am. You know better than I am. You're God. I'm not. And so I'm going to submit to your way of life. I'm going to surrender to what you say. And so God speaks to the humble. But then also in verse 12 and 14, there's this curious phrase where he says that the Lord confides in those who fear him. Two times in verse 12 and 14, I pointed out, he says he instructs those who fear the Lord. Now, what does that mean? Well, this is mostly an Old Testament phrase. It's a phrase that has to do with someone who really respects who God's is. It's like, God, you're God. I'm not. You're the leader. I'm not. You lead. I'll follow. It has to do with it's kind of a respect for his leadership. But it has an element of fear, true fear in it. I like to think of it like a healthy family. Think of a father and son that have a good relationship, a wise father, an obedient son, who the son has learned in life that his father is wiser than him. And his dad says, I wouldn't advise this. He's learned to fear if he doesn't, because he's learned that his dad knows best, and his life is going to go better. And so there's a legitimate fear of going against that advice, because he knows his dad knows best and has his best interests in mind. But there's also an element of fear, like in a healthy family, there should be a healthy sense of fear in your kids. Now, now it's not a fear of hey, you raise your arm to, you know, raise your hand to scratch your head, and they flinch because they never know when you're going to go off. That's abusive, right? That's not the kind of fear, the fear of the Lord. That's what he's talking about. But I'll tell you what, in a healthy family, mom and dad, I mean, the kids have learned that when mom and dad say no, they mean no. And if you push back this boundary, there's going to be pain involved, right? And so you don't want to have that pain in your life. So there's a fear. If they said don't, you mean don't. And there's there's not a fear of the person like they're unreasonable, but there's a fear of the consequences that will come for rebellion, you see, that's the mark of a healthy family. You know, the two most important things in raising kids is love and control. Having that balance. They know you, you love them, but you, but there's a sense of control. There's a sense of there are boundaries and they're enforceable and so on. And so in the same way that we relate to our children, God relates to us. A healthy fear of the Lord means that we love Him as our Father, that we know He has our best interests in mind, he's he's, he's smarter than us, he's wise, we've learned to trust him, but we've also learned, hey, don't mess with God. (laughs) Because when he disciplines, it's painful. And so David says, who does God speak to? He speaks to the man or the woman who fears the Lord. What is the bottom line? It's about obedience. God will speak to those who are ready to obey him as the leader in their life, not use him as a cosmic consultant you know what a consultant is you bring them in you ask for their advice you pay them money then you decide whether to take it or not a lot of people use god as a cosmic consultant god i'm in a jam could you tell me what to do and then their attitude is once you tell me i'll decide whether i'm going to do it god says guess what time out i'm not a consultant i'm the lord i'm the god of the universe i speak to people who say i'm ready to obey So why don't you come on back when you got that straightened out? You see? I'm convinced of this that many times in our life, the primary reason we don't hear from God more often is that if he spoke, we wouldn't obey anyway. I can think of times in in my life where where there are times of that's like, I wanted God to speak, but then I was going to decide whether to obey or not. You know what I found is that he's not real big on that. That he confides in those who fear him. Now, um, the third, the third criteria is that we have to be, I'm going to give you two words again, you choose. We have to be a seeker. Or if you like it better, we have to be serious. What I'm saying here is that God reveals himself to people that are very serious about the relationship. They are really seeking. They want to hear from him. This is top priority in their life. The way the Bible puts it you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You see, there's a seriousness there. Now, this is just the way relationships work. You know, we have all Paul people in our life who probably come and say, hey, we should go out for coffee sometime. Oh, yeah, we should do that. And every time you see it, hey, we still need to get together. You know, it's just like nothing wrong with that. But if that kind of person comes up to you and says, hey, what's the deepest, darkest thing that's going on in your life right now? Are you going to confide in them? Well, of course not. You've never spent time. You've never developed a relationship. You're going to confide in someone that you've developed a relationship with, that is invested in that relationship. You know, has your best interest in mind, who's serious about this, right? That's who you confide in. Guess what? God's the same way. He is going to confide in those who seek him with all their heart. You know, so if the closest thing we ever get to seeking him with all your heart is a quick prayer in the 118, God, show me what to do. Probably not going to hear from God. He's looking for people that are serious about this relationship, who want to love him with all their heart, become the most important relationship in their life. And when God finds a person like that, he begins to reveal himself. You know, there's a great verse in Chronicles somewhere. that says, uh, don't you like that somewhere? It's kind of like the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews always says it somewhere. It says, um, it says, the eyes of the Lord look to and fro. Good King James to and fro over the whole earth to find a person whose heart is right towards him. So he can show himself strongly on their behalf. God is looking over the world. For who are people who are serious about this relationship? I want to confide in those kind of people. I want that kind of depth of friendship. A great example of this. There in your note sheet. In Jeremiah 29, there's a famous verse. Many of you probably used it as a life verse for your life. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And probably many of you have learned that verse or quoted that verse or claimed that verse. God has a plan for our lives. He's, He's for us. He's not against us. He's got a future. We're excited about that. We memorize that verse. Well, it's an interesting story about that verse. God spoke that to the nation of Israel when they were in a time of rebellion in their life. And because of the rebellion, he brought severe discipline to their nation. And he said, you know what? I want you to know that though it doesn't look like it right now and you're going through really hard times, I've got a plan for your life. I'm looking out for you. I've got a bright future plan. Okay, so that's the verse that we quote. Now look at the next verse on your note sheet. Here's the verse we need to be reading. (laughs) It says, then you will call upon me. Then, when is then? (laughs) Well, if you read the passage in Jeremiah, He's talking about down the road many years in their life. They will come to the place where they realize that doing life without God is not the way to do it. And they're going to get sick and tired of getting beat up by life. And they're going to come to a place where they say, enough of our disobedience, enough of our rebellion. I'm going to, I'm going to do life your way. I'm going to seek you with all my heart. He says, then you will call upon me and you will come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You see that? God says, I've got a plan for your life. It's a good plan. It's an amazing plan. But he says, you know, you're not quite ready for it. You're not ready to seek me with all your heart. You're just kind of checking in, asking from time to time, getting a little advice. One thing you see in Psalm 25 is David is serious about this relationship. He's saying, God, lead me. God, guide me. God, instruct me. God, my foot's in the snare. I don't know how to get out. I'm seeking you, you see? So God speaks to three kinds of people. He speaks to sinners. He speaks to people who are surrendered or submissive. Let's him call the shots. He speaks to people who are serious about the relationship. Now, one last point. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. But I need to say this because otherwise you'll go out with a a misconception or it's very possible. I know any time I speak on this kind of topic, what I find is that people get excited. People are like, wow, you know, I've never really thought of it like that. I'd really love to hear from God in my life. And there's a there's a new desire to get in the Word and to spend time in the prayer and to say, God, I just seek you. And if there's anything in my life you want to change, just let me know and, and I'll obey. And, and so we get all geared up and we go about a week or two like that. And it's like, mm, I haven't heard from God lately. It's like, oh, I guess this stuff doesn't work. And so it's very important that we put this third principle on here to balance out the picture that I've I've given today. Okay, number three goes like this, that God doesn't always speak on our timetable. Um, in my life, I've been very fortunate. I think one of the greatest gifts and blessings of my life is that God has chosen to speak to me many, many times in many, many different ways. It's one of the richest gifts of my life. It's one of the things I treasure the most. I can't imagine living life without that. And yet I'll tell you this, for every time that God has spoken, there's been many, many, many more times when he's been silent. Often, usually in times of great pain where just like David, I'm crying out, God, I'm lonely. I'm in anguish. I'm in pain here. I need you to speak. Would you lead me? Would you guide me? And there's no one on the other end of the line. (laughs) I'll tell you why. The reason God doesn't always speak when we want it is because God does some of the best work in our lives in the dark. I'll tell you what, if you look back over your life and you say, when have you learned the most? When have you been changed the most? I'll bet you dollars of donuts. It's nine out of ten times in times of pain. In fact, we're going to talk more about that next week in Psalm 22, The Power of Pain. So many times in our life, God is silent, not because he doesn't want to speak, because but if he spoke, it would slow down our growth. And so many times he'll let us be in a place of silence. He'll let us be in a place of confusion because he's working there in the darkness. He's preparing us for our future. He's bringing us to a place where we say, whatever it takes, God. He brings us to a place, okay, you want this, you want that, you want me to surrender this, whatever it takes. He brings us to a place of surrender. And so God speaks, but it's not always on our timetable. And I want you to catch this in the psalm, because as much as David had heard from God, we've, we've, we've detailed that, I want you to catch it. This was a time in his life of great pain, loneliness, anguish. And he was crying out to God to speak. Why? Because God had not yet spoken. You see that? You catch it? If God had spoken, we wouldn't have this psalm. <laughs> This psalm is written because God, David's in great pain. He knows God can speak, but God has chosen not to speak. And he's asking him to speak, you see. He doesn't always speak in our timetable. And that's very typical. One of the things that's been so comforting in my life, and I just remind myself when I'm going through those times of pain Though, what's Son is comforting is like, Mike, have you ever heard God speak to you before? In a variety of ways. Like, well, yeah. Well, then he could speak to you right now and clear up this whole confusion, couldn't he? Well, yeah. Well, then he's choosing not to speak, isn't he? Well, yeah. Okay. So let's keep things in perspective here. If you're in the darkness right now, it's where you're supposed to be. Because he could clear this up in a moment. You see? And I find that very comforting in my life. That it's okay. Okay. He's choosing not to speak. It's not his timetable. There's something going on in my life. So I don't want to pay the, paint the kind of picture today that God's speaking is something that's very commonplace. It happens all the time. It's just every day, you know, you know, this conversation with Jesus going back and forth to it. It's not like that. It's not like that. But oh, the power of our life at those times, even if it's only a few times in our life, when we know God has spoken, what a comfort it is to know that okay, we got a real relationship because we have two-way communication. I'm not doing all the talking. God's showing up. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this time together and to look into your word and to talk about these things. Lord, uh, as a congregation, we want to be a people. It's a supernatural people. To experience your presence here at Rocky Peak routinely in supernatural ways. As individuals together corporately, that we hear your voice, that we learn to have the courage to follow. We pray this in your name, Amen. As um, as we wrap this thing up today, you know what does God want to do here at Rocky Peak? You know, well, what, what's he up to? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, I believe for every church, God has a message. In the in the church in the, the book of Revelation, there's a letter to the seven churches at the beginning. Hey, to the church of Thyatira, Jesus says, this is what I want to tell them. To the church of Ephesus, this is what I want to tell them. He's got a message for every church. I think part of the message for Rocky Peak, I think I think what he wants us to be, he, he wants us to move past the point of doing church. <laughs> he wants to, to bring us to the point of doing relationship. And relationship is all about two-way Communication the heart and soul, of the Christian life is about learning to hear the voice of God and having the courage to do what he asks. That's what his call is here. That's what it's about. That's why we come. So I encourage you this week to be doing inventory in your own life. Um we I know you're a sinner. You've got criteria one down, right? We're all there. Are you surrendered? Are you surrendered? Jesus is If he gives you advice, will you take it? Are you seeking him? Are you putting aside time in your life to seek him and say, God, I really want to know you. I want to hear from you. You see, that's what it will take. May this week be a week where you do seek after God in your life. May it be a week that you live a surrendered life, that your ears are open, that your eyes are focused, your eyes are on the Lord who will set you free from the trap. You see, may this be a week where you seek him with all of your heart because we know the plans he has for each one of you. Plans to prosper, not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. And those plans will start happening the day you start seeking him with all your heart. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Psalm 22, the power of pain.